Hello, my story lovers and very special patrons. This is Laurel McCarg. You're listening to Alligator Preserves. And this is short story number eight. Can you believe that it's been eight months now since I've been doing this? I also, before I get to my short story, I would like to apologize to my patrons. And I love you all so much. And um, again, I can't tell you enough how much I I appreciate your support. Um, I apologize for not doing the four podcasts per month um, this past month and a half anyway. I won't make too many excuses, but this month's National Novel Writing Month, and I am cranking on Water White Breathe, book three, which I hope to have the uh, initial draft completed by the end of this year. And uh, there's been some other things going on too, and I, I haven't been able to get to my four per month. I did a couple of interviews, which are on... YouTube now, but I didn't put them as podcasts because something happened with the audio quality. They were Zoom interviews and I just wasn't happy with them. So I did them. I'll put links to them. I interviewed Helen Starbuck, who has a mystery kind of medical series. And I also interviewed Jerry Fabianic, who has a book called Sisyphus Wins. So again, I apologize if you need to stop your support of me. I'll understand, but I do hope to pick up my four per month as soon as I finish this draft of Water White Breathe, which, oh gosh, I'm very excited about right now. So thanks for sticking with me, and I hope you enjoy my next short story. It's called For Billy. Hey, Billy, what the hell's wrong with you? Can't you hear? Answer the goddamn phone, you worthless piece of shit. Billy's father mumbled the last several words, but Billy heard them. He always heard them. Billy missed his mom, and he hated his father. He blamed the belligerent, burly man for his mother's death five years earlier, though the investigators never found any proof. And who would have believed a four-year-old child as an eyewitness? Losing her at age four was confusing and terrifying, but having to live with the man who took her away from him, the man Billy had mutely pointed his finger at when the police finally arrived that horrible day, was a struggle that had grown more intense each year. After the hubbub surrounding her death had passed, Billy had to explain to his preschool teacher how he had broken his finger by getting it stuck in the swing set. He had no swing set. Over the years, Billy learned from experience that his father knew where and how to hurt a person. But how could the police have missed all the other signs? Sure, some of the officers were his father's friends from high school, but when they were in uniform, weren't they supposed to arrest bad guys? Billy's father was a bad guy. Now, goddammit, you don't want me to get out of this chair? I got it. Billy ran to the mustard-colored telephone mounted on the grimy kitchen wall and grabbed the receiver. <sighs> Hello, M- M- Monroe residence, but Billy speaking. He glanced into the room where his father sat in his recliner watching a college ball game. The stack of empty bud cans on the floor by his right hand had grown formidable. Billy would have to collect them soon, but not while his father was drinking. Listen carefully, Billy, a woman's soft voice spoke. Tomorrow, while your father is at work, a package will be delivered to your house. It is a gift for you, but you must not show your father. Hide it somewhere he will not find it. Now hang up and tell him this was a wrong number. 
The line went dead. Billy stared at the receiver for several seconds before hanging up, baffled by a tickle of delight in his stomach. He was going to get a present in the mail, a surprise present just for him. His father had forgotten his seventh, eighth, and ninth birthdays, and Christmas was just another day since his mother's death. A gift just for him. Wrong number, he told his father, who grumbled. Billy cleaned the dishes piled in the chipped porcelain sink, brushed his teeth, and hurried to his bedroom, where he'd stay till his father would holler at him the next morning. His tiny bedroom was immaculate. It wasn't difficult to keep it orderly, as Billy didn't have much. A jacket, two pairs of jeans, and three shirts hung evenly spaced on plastic hangers in the doorless closet. His frayed sneakers and one pair of good shoes, too tight for him now, looked lonely on the floor beneath the hangers. A blue plastic bin held his socks and underwear. His walls were bare, save for one poster tacked next to his bed, a freebie given to all students after a health fair. Milk, it does a body good, it read. At least it was colorful, and the man with the milk mustache looked happy. It took Billy a long time to fall asleep. He was used to the blare of the television in the next room, but he was not used to the feeling of excitement rumbling in his stomach and making his mouth turn up at the edges. He couldn't wait until tomorrow. Get up, his father's voice boomed, and clean up the mess in the living room before you leave. His bedroom door slammed against the wall when it swung open. I won't be home till late. Do good in school. There's a couple of hot dogs left for dinner. The man lumbered out of the house and drove away. Billy stretched, used the bathroom, and shuffled to the kitchen. There was one frozen waffle in the freezer, which he popped into the toaster. The drizzle on the kitchen window told him it would be a day like most others in Portland. But then he remembered the phone call. It was probably a wrong number was probably just a prank call. He shook his head and kicked the cabinet. Stupid, he sputtered, and after washing down the dry waffle with what was left of the milk, Billy dressed and walked to school, his feet cold from the steady rain seeping through his sneakers. Although he never felt horribly out of place among his peers, many of their fathers worked in the forest industry like his father. He didn't have a best friend. All the other kids had mothers and none of them stuttered. Mostly, Billy felt invisible. All he knew about his father's work was that he cut down and chipped up trees for a living. He drank a lot and cussed a lot and stayed out late a lot. Billy was okay with him staying out and was a pro at being in bed, pretending to be asleep when his father returned on those late nights. Even though he'd convinced himself nothing good could ever happen to him, he ran home after school Maybe, just maybe, he paced around the small house for about an hour, tidying up his father's mess and peeking out the front window every time he passed it. Finally, with nothing left to clean, he turned on the television and sat in the only chair in the room. Excitement and disappointment overwhelmed his body and brain, and he fell asleep in the recliner. Billy jumped when the doorbell rang. 
Groggy from his unexpected nap, he stumbled to the window and peered through a slit in the drab draperies. A man in a uniform waited at the door holding a box, but Billy knew not to open the door to strangers when he was alone. He hid beneath the window, his heart racing, and prayed the man would just leave the box and go away. Endless moments passed before he heard the truck pull away. He peeked out the window again and saw the man was gone. The box remained on the front step. It was only five o'clock. His father wouldn't be home till late, he said, and that meant nine or later. Billy opened the door and lifted the box as if it were a baby bunny. It weighed almost nothing, and when he shook it gently, ever so gently, he heard a metallic rattle. He hurried the box to his bedroom and shut the door, though there was no lock on it. Sitting on the floor with the box between his legs, he read the label. For Billy, was all it said. No postage, no return address, just for Billy. He didn't know if the goosebumps on his arms were from fear or excitement, but it didn't matter. He opened the box. When he pulled out the little brass lantern, he laughed, startling himself by a sound he hadn't made in years. He knew the story of Aladdin and had watched some dumb old I Dream of Genie shows after school. The gift made no sense to him, though. Who would send him a brass Aladdin lantern? It didn't matter. It was a gift, and it was only for him. He looked around his room for a place to hide it, and while there weren't many good places, he knew his father would never look in his underwear bin. Walking over to the closet, he absentmindedly ran his hand over the cool, smooth brass surface. And it vibrated. He dropped it in fear and watched as mist poured from its spout. No, no, no way! His eyes opened wide as the vapor condensed into the form of a fat little old woman, too round to look good in a harem outfit, but wearing one nonetheless. Hello, Billy. She sounded like the prank caller, but this couldn't be a prank. Billy stepped toward her and hesitantly touched her fleshy arm to make sure she was real. I am real, and I am here to grant you three wishes. But how can this be real? You must believe I'm real for your wishes to come true. Is there anything you wish for? Yes, of course. I wish I didn't stutter any any more. Your wish is my command, then, if you believe. I do. I do. I do. It worked. You did it. It's gone. My stutter is gone. Billy jumped up and down and spun around, laughing until he fell on the ground. How is this happening? Who are you? Who sent you to me? What's your name? I am called Adea the Kind, and you have two wishes remaining. Use them wisely, Billy. You do not have to choose your wishes all at once. Perhaps you might wait before sharing your next wish with me. I hear your father approaching. Do not let him find me. Then go back into your lantern. Hurry, I'll hide you. Adea returned to the lantern, and Billy stashed it beneath a heap of yellowed socks in his underwear bin. He felt embarrassed and hoped the genie wouldn't know where she was. He wondered why his father had come home at his usual time. The man was in a foul mood. You better a left me one of them dogs, Billy. He opened the refrigerator door and slammed it. Billy heard the microwave going and waited until it beeped before joining his father. I thought you'd be out late, 
said Billy. What'd you say? The man pulled Billy toward him by his collar, twisting it in a way that choked him. I thought you were going to be late, that's all. It felt strange to have to force a stutter, but Billy couldn't let on that he'd been cured. His father reeked of alcohol. Was it to you, you little tired? You mind your own business. He smacked Billy on the back of the head, sending the boy into the kitchen wall. When he stopped seeing stars, Billy glared at his father and ran to his room. Run away, little baby, run away. His father's slur trailed off. The next morning, his father left for work without saying anything to Billy, and Billy knew what his next wish would be. He released Adea from her bottle before leaving for school. I wish he'd never, ever, ever hit me again. Your wish is my command, she said. Now hide me again and go to school. You have only one wish remaining. She turned to mist and returned to her lantern. Billy smiled when he thought about someone her size fitting into the little container. He returned the lantern gently to the safe place in his bin. He was excited to talk to his peers at school. Maybe he'd have a chance to make real friends now that he didn't stutter anymore. Shortly after getting to school, however, he was called to the office. Hi, Billy. The school counselor met him and brought him into the principal's office. I'm afraid we have some bad news about your father. Billy braced for the news. It seems he's had an accident at work. He's in the hospital now, but I need you to be prepared when you see him. For a moment, Billy expected to hear that his father was dead. The thought did not make him sad. He waited for the bad news. It was one of the machines, the counselor continued. It trapped his arms inside. He will probably never be able to use his hands again. She looked at Billy intently. Billy tried not to smile. We'll take you to see him when the surgeons say we can. Is that okay with you, Billy? And is there a friend you can go home with after school today? Yes, ma'am, Billy lied. He tried to act concerned, but noticed a peculiar look on the counselor's face before she sent him back to class. I think you should stay in school today, she said. There's nothing you can do, and it will keep your mind from worrying too much. He's in good hint. I mean, the doctor will take good care of him, okay? Yes, ma'am, he repeated. After school, he ran home and summoned Adea. Thank you, Adea. My father will never hit me again. Adea looked at the boy, her brow furrowed in concern. But the losses you have suffered, my boy, are too great. Billy looked into the old woman's eyes and his chin quivered. Tears washed down his cheeks and he trembled. I miss my mom. I want my mom. Please bring her back to me. For my last wish, I want you to bring my mother back to me. He sobbed and waited, but Adea didn't move. Please! I want my mom. I have one more wish. You have to bring her back. Bring mom back to me. Oh, my dear, dear boy, this is one wish I cannot grant. Never has a genie been granted the power to bring back one who has passed to another realm. I am sorry. 
but it's not fair. When my father comes home, he'll find another way to hurt me, and I'll never have any friends now. It won't matter if I can talk like them. I don't have a mother, and my father's going to be a horrible freak, a horrible, mean, violent freak. What do I have left to wish for if I can't get my mom back? Adea waited until Billy stopped ranting. I cannot bring your mother back, Billy, but there is one thing I can do. What is it? Tell me. I can bring you to her. She spoke the word softly. Yes, yes. Bring me to her. I don't care what you have to do, what I have to do. Please bring me to her now. For my last wish, I wish for you to bring me to my mother. Your wish is my command, Billy. Now, come to me. Adea opened her arms to the boy, who stood for a moment before moving. He wiped his eyes and face dry, tucked in his shirt, and combed his fingers through his hair. How do I look? he asked the genie. You look like a fine young man. Now, come to me. She is waiting. Billy stood tall, stepped toward the woman, and allowed himself to be enveloped by her soft, warm, full arms, arms that seemed to expand as they wrapped around the boy, hugging him in a steadily constricting embrace that was so soft, so warm, so safe, so... That ends my story for Billy. I was inspired to write this story by Margaret Atwood, whose master class I have completed, and I believe it was in lesson three. She made a suggestion for writing assignments. She said, make a list of 10 potential things that might happen, incidents, events that could trigger a story, and then make a list of 10 possible characters. They could be historical, fictional, made-up, animal, whatever, human, whatever, any kind of characters. And then make a list of 10 what she calls Legos, uh, building blocks, stories that are known or that are familiar to people, like Bible stories, uh, mythological stories, historical stories, uh, those kinds of things, things that would ring familiar to someone. So I did the exercise. I did 10 in each column. And then I just randomly picked, from the first column, I picked a surprise phone call. And in the second column, I picked a boy. And in the third column, I picked a genie and a lantern story. (laughs) And then I set them down and mulled it a bit. And uh, that's the story that came from it. So uh, yeah, I do tend to go dark on some of these stories, but I, I, I like this one. And I hope you did too. So next month, month of December, I'm going to have to come up with another short story. And I hope you stick with me till then. And uh, wish me luck on my on my water white breathe. Finishing up that first draft. And thank you again. So very, very, very much from the center of my heart to you. And I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. Because this is Thanksgiving week. Bye.